There are some topics we just don't talk about in front of polite company. You know, politics, sex, the New England Patriots. But in this podcast, we're going to address another subject people don't bring up in polite company. Well, welcome to the Bible Studies for Life adult podcast. This podcast is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. So, Chris, you ready to tackle this topic? Yes, Lynn. That was kind of like a cliffhanger introduction there. Good job. Uh, <laughs> so we're, we've been talking for the past several weeks about uh, being confident in the face of hard questions. And so today, that topic that we tend to sometimes avoid is the, is the topic of hell. The, the session is entitled, Is Hell Real? And, uh, you know, I, as we as we begin to talk about this, Lynn, you and I were talking before the podcast began, uh, you know, I said to you what I'm going to say now, as a pastor, I'm guilty of being that guy that talks a whole lot more about eternal life from the heaven side than to talk about hell, eternal destruction, um, as I, it's not that I avoid it and never talk about it, but I'm, I, my tendency is to talk um, a lot more about heaven and the hope of heaven and eternal life in Christ. So, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm guilty. Uh, so, but this is a good topic for us to consider, and I think it it fits what we wanted to do with um, this study to talk about hard questions, uh, because this is a difficult uh, topic. It certainly is. And so joining Chris and I for this conversation is Curtis Hans. Curtis, thank you for taking it, uh, some time to meet with us today. Glad to do it. Glad to be with you and with your audience. Curtis serves the Bible Studies for Life team by she. He is the editor of the shared commentary that appears in all our leader guides. Uh, Curtis has been in this role for many, many years. And uh, in addition to that, Curtis also uh, oversees. He's the editor for uh, a, another curriculum that we offer, which is called Masterwork. Uh, Curtis, you've been working with Masterwork for now uh, five years. Uh, Masterwork, just uh, just FYI, is a, a Bible study curriculum, but it's based on uh, classic, or I say classic pieces of work, uh, trade books. And some of them are classic books, some of them are contemporary books, uh, but that are solid, good, just trade books to read. But we build Bible studies around uh, what the author has written. So that's Masterwork. But here we're to talk about a master, uh, the Bible Studies for Life study, uh, which is having to do with hell. For this session, we're going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, in, the, in the opening uh, section of this. But before I just jump in and start reading the passage, Curtis, why don't you help us understand why Paul was writing the book of 2 Thessalonians to begin with? Well, we know from the book of Acts that uh, Paul founded the church in Thessalonica. Uh, apparently things were going very well. It talks about there were Jews who became believers. There were uh, a number of uh, Greek individuals who were converted to Christianity. And, and uh, the Bible says, and not a few prominent women. And all this success uh, riled up some of the, the uh, Jewish leadership who went to the City officials and city officials decided they needed to do something, so they went to Jason's house to find Paul and, and the rest of his crew, only to find Jason only there. Uh, when they uh, took him before the uh, 
the courts, the riot ensued, and eventually a public official calmed the riot down. They uh, had Jason post bail and sent him home. And that night, in response to what had happened, the believers there in Thessalonica took Paul and, and escorted him out of town, sent him away to Berea. Uh, so he wasn't, his departure from Thessalonica was not a planned departure. Uh, he wasn't able to bring about any kind of uh, conclusion, any kind of transition. So he left with things unsaid and things undone. And he wrote uh, a couple of letters, First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, to uh, to kind of continue the ministry that he wasn't able to wrap up to answer questions. And uh, we notice in, in the first chapter here in Second Thessalonians that he pretty quickly, immediately after his greeting, gets into the issue of persecution and response to persecution. Uh, so it, uh, it, it sounds as if the persecution that had driven him from Thessalonica was continuing. Uh, so the people had, uh, had some, some issues that they were going through, and he writes to address that and to encourage them and to give them some perspective on, on what they should expect and what uh, may happen to those who are persecuting them. As we begin the book of Second Thessalonians, then there is the standard Pauline greeting to the church. And as we pick up in verse 3, Paul's going to jump right in to let us know for these believers and for us that God watches over his faithful followers. Let me begin reading in verse 3. We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing and the love each of you has for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches, about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom, for which you are also suffering, since it is God to, it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to all to you who are afflicted along with us. So Curtis, um, you mentioned this, this persecution. Um, it almost sounds like it was just local, but uh, was there a, was there a broader sense of persecution that was happening from a Roman perspective as well? Well, we know from, uh, from Peter's epistles and, and from other history that, uh, that whether there was any official sanctioned persecution at any particular point in time, there definitely was local persecution and it was more than just in Thessalonica, and there indeed came to be um, uh, sanctioned and widespread persecution. So the letter to Thessalonica would not have been applicable only to those believers in Thessalonica. What we see Paul doing here, though, he's commending these Thessalonian Christians for their perseverance in suffering. Now, again, we, we're our topic is hell, but before we get into what he's going to say in the next verses, I think it's important for us to see how Paul has preceded that with letting them know that your faithfulness, God is going to repay, repay those who afflict you, but he's going to give relief to you. God watches over his people. That's a good word. It's a good reminder to us. And it's um, it's just really interesting that he is encouraging these people who have been faithful uh, and 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 challenges them to you know to continue to uh, to be faithful and to endure the difficulties that's that's before them. Um, 
you know, we've been so blessed in our culture that that hasn't been uh, something that's been a, a major issue um, in the United States and uh, the places where we live. And um, I'm not sure that it will always be that way, um, but, but um, it's good to see and hear uh, him encouraging, bragging on them, saying, keep, keep it up. Um, I, I loved uh, the line here. Um, it is clear in verse five that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom because you have uh, remained faithful. So that's a good word. They not only had remained faithful by, uh, uh, according to, to verse three there, uh, your faith is flourishing, he said, which is contrary to what we might think uh, when there's persecution, we might think that would be a, a damper on one's faith. But uh, in the case of the Thessalonians and, and in other, uh, many other cases throughout uh, church history, uh, there was a flourishing of the faith in the midst of uh, persecution. So we've heard that when we've talked about like the, the, the churches who ha- who've had to go underground in uh, China and Russia, places like that. What, why, what is it about that? Why is it that these, that, the faith grows and continues when challenged by persecution. I started reading just a few days ago a book by Elizabeth Elliot that is called Suffering is Never for Nothing. And if you're familiar with her story, Elizabeth Elliot has dealt with uh, the, the death of her husband, Jim Elliot, when he was as a missionary, he was killed. Uh, she remarried years later. He died of cancer. So she knows a lot about suffering. But she points out in her writing how it's in those moments that draw us close to God when we most feel like we 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 realize our dependency and our need for God. And Chris, I add persecution to that in the sense of it's that suffering that draws us to Him, that draws us to find out that's truly what we need. All we need is that is Jesus in our life. Like I say, I, I think it also. Uh, reflects that that people must make a decision: do we do we believe what we say we believe, or do we not? Is our faith uh, worthwhile? Is it not? And uh, people tend to either uh, depart from their their faith and practice, or they draw upon it more deeply. Yes, as uh, I heard it said once: uh, do the conflicts, do the challenges you're facing, do they make you bitter, or do they make you better? And now, this to be clear, though, now, when you go through these difficulties, persecution as the Thessalonians were experiencing, you don't go to heaven because you've been persecuted. But the persecution is evidence. The fact that you persevere in persecution is that evidence that you've had a a transforming encounter with Jesus Christ. That's why we go to heaven is because of that relationship with him. The persecution, the difficulties, the challenges you and I face day to day and how we face those, that's where the evidence comes that we have that walk with him. So this seems like a this seems like a good transition then to what Paul had to say next. Well, certainly, because the implication we see here is because of because they have endured, God's gonna watch out for them. But the implication of it is, well, for those who've been causing the persecution, for those who are not doing as these Thessalonian believers. There is a judgment that waits for them. Let me pick up in verse 7. Uh, I'm going to pick up the second half of se- uh, verse 7. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels. When he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God 
and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength on the day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. Well, there it is, eternal destruction for those um, who don't believe uh, as a penalty, as a payment um, for um, their rejection of the gospel, essentially. That should be a, a frightening thought for us. Uh, it's, it's not just a destruction from which you might be able to rebuild, but it's eternal destruction. There is a finality in that. Uh, that it's as you as you point out, Curtis. It is eternal destruction. There are those who would tell us that uh, from a Catholic persuasion that you go to purgatory. Many people go to purgatory where they kind of work through their sins. They they they're purged and they ultimately go to heaven. Now we are going to talk about this in many ways next in the next session as we talk about do all people go to heaven? But let's just inter, uh, interject at this point that this uh, idea of eternal destruction negates any kind of idea of a purgatory or that, uh, well, you'll be able to work your way out of that. No, uh, as Hebrews 9 says, it is destined to man to die once and after that to face judgment. So I was intrigued, um, the introduction to this study by Freddie Davis from the PSG perspective, the personal study guide perspective. He tells a story, and man, I wanted to be sure that we... Uh, sourced this and be sure it was accurate. And it seems like it is. So uh, Elon Musk, the um, owner of Twitter uh, in in his Twitter account in May of 2022, someone uh, sent a message and said, you know, as a genius, you're aware that there is a great creator of this world, right? Uh, uh, if, and if you've confessed that we, uh, you need, or you need to confess that before your last heartbeat, and Musk responded, uh, because the guy said, bless you, is the conclusion. He said, thank you for blessing, for the blessing, but I'm okay with going to hell if that is indeed my destination, since the vast majority of all humans ever born will be there. I, th I think this is important for us to hear, because um, not because it's Elon Musk, but in the sense that Within the church, we we think that um, you know everybody wants to go to heaven, right? And and here, uh, someone in our world, in our culture, is saying, "Well, you know, if everybody else is going, I'm going too. It's no big deal, right?" So um, this really uh, aligns with what Paul addresses um, in this passage. That you know, for those who make that decision, for those who don't know God, that for those who don't obey the gospel, um, this is the, this is what you get, penalty of eternal destruction. Forever separated from God, um, this, is, this is what uh, is, is your future. The uh, deception of Satan is so obvious in a response like uh, Mr. Musk's, the, the sense that somehow there's going to be comfort, there's going to be fellowship, there's going to be something to enjoy with with all those people. I had a friend in high school that uh, when I was witnessing to him, he didn't want to go to heaven unless his girlfriend went to heaven. 
that there's not going to be any comfort with anybody that you might know if you wind up being one of those persons in in hell. There's not you're not going to draw any strength or any comfort from who else is there with you. In the Apologetic Study Bible, there is a um, article that we want to recommend to you. It's called "Why Would a Good God Send People to an Everlasting Hell?" and um, it's it is an interesting response um, to the question that that people raise um, about this. And uh, I think I think that is healthy for us to look at this um, this idea of eternal destruction uh, from the perspective of of second thessalonians one because it makes it clear it's all about choosing not to believe and not obeying the gospel uh that's why god god's not sending it's not like he's stepping in and making that kind of decision it's it's all about uh people's response to him and to his love and grace uh, so it's a that's a uh strong article we want to recommend to you. Chris, you had mentioned uh, at the beginning of the podcast that you confessed uh, you don't preach much on the subject of hell, and and I fall in that same category as you do. Uh, A little bit of that is is a little bit as a reaction to sermons I heard as a kid. There's just some preachers who seem to enjoy talking about hell, where they just want to make it as graphic and scary as possible. And my reaction is, are, are people embracing Jesus for salvation, or are they just trying to run away from hell? And But the, talk about what the nature and the reality of hell is. The key for me, what makes hell hell, is, you mentioned it earlier, Chris, it's the absence of God. And you think about everything that God is, his light, his joy, his, his, his peace, his righteousness, and all those things will be absent in that place of eternal destruction. And I'm drawn to want to tell people about Jesus. I want to I want to point them to the light and the hope and the joy and the blessing they can experience in Christ rather than just trying to scare them with the reality of hell. I mean, I know there's a place for that in some people's lives, but I want people to be attracted to the truth of the gospel. So I think there's a way to talk about eternal destruction, separation from God, and um, and be very factual, just like Paul is here, where he's saying, "Look, this 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 is the result. This is the, the payment for unbelief. Um, it it's eternal separation from God. It's it's eternal uh, destruction, uh, eternal punishment." Um, so it, I think there's a way to talk about it from a, almost a factual perspective more than a, trying to motivate and scare people to make a decision for God. Does that make sense? Sure does. And what is interesting, what Paul does, he, he, he actually talks very briefly about this eternal destruction. But he does say when you come to verse 11, in view of this, what he has said about God's going to take care of his faithful followers— And those who are not faithful followers, they will experience eternal destruction. He says, in view of this, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power, fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him 
according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's almost as though he circles back around. He's he's affirmed them in the beginning for their faithfulness in in the face of persecution, and he comes back around to saying uh, to them, uh, "Man, continue to be consistent. Continue to live for the Lord, uh, and." Uh, with that commitment to bring honor and glory to God. There is a question that we've raised in the personal study guide text. I think it's valuable for our groups uh, to talk about because we're on this subject of eternal destruction. How does the reality of hell shape our Christian walk? I think just, I think that's something to ponder first and then to talk about among ourselves to consider the reality of, of this harsh, hard doctrine. But it should impact how I live my life. It should impact uh, uh, to a degree of how I interact with people, how I interact with the world. Not that I just write them off in a, well, you're going to hell, just in a, in a kind of that uh, condemning attitude. But in a sense of compassion, let me tell you about the love and the light of Christ. I think we have to be honest with people. I think I think that I think. There are a lot of people who are ignorant about these kind of things, and uh, I think we need to be straight up. I think we need to be talking about this. I think also that uh, probably the 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 motivation for us to talk about hell and eternal destruction is the fact that we as believers uh, believe this to be true, and we don't want to see people that we love or people that we encounter experience this eternal destruction. So the motivation, I think, uh, should be more for the believer to talk about eternal things and the consequences, as opposed to uh, maybe that being a motivating factor, talking about hell and scaring people, uh, causing them to respond to the gospel. Toward the end of this session uh, in the Personal Study Guide text, Freddie Davis offered to me a great summation where he said, Considering the serious consequences of an eternity apart from Christ, when we live lives worthy of Christ, we are offering a positive witness to the joys of a life lived in Christ. When we live that life of obedience to Christ, we bring glory to him and that attracts people to Christ. Again, I don't, I'm not motivated to scare people away from something. I'm motivated to draw them to the love and the grace and the salvation that's offered in Christ. Well, listen, thank you guys for listening to our podcast today. And Curtis, Lynn, thank you for uh, the conversation. Again, not a, and not an easy conversation. And so we want to prepare you that this, you, you may have some people who experience some discomfort, um, but it's truth. And, and so we need to, to be upfront and talk about these things uh, with with our group. So this is a, an opportunity uh, for us to deal with a difficult uh, topic. Curtis, you got any last words for us? Hell is a place that, that none of us want to be in a place that we should uh, not want anyone we know to be. Uh, it, it ought to be a, a motivating factor, as we've talked about, to fulfill our responsibility. When we study these lessons, it's so easy to think about other people. But the question is, what is its impact on us? What are we going to do in light of this study? Well said, Curtis. Thank you. And we hope all of you have a great discussion in your Bible study groups, and we look forward to being with you next week.